You know, last week we were in Psalm 51, and we looked at David and David's brokenness over his sin. And I was reminded this past week um, at how it took a prophet coming to David and confronting him over that, and how oftentimes in our lives we don't confront one another, we don't uh, hold each other accountable very well. Now, some of us have that in our lives, but not all of us have that in our lives. Uh, but I was also reminded at the same time how much easier it is to identify sin in somebody else's life versus our own. Have you ever noticed that? Like, well, <laughs> at least I don't have his problem. I mean, he's really got it going on over there, you know. But then when it comes to our own sin, we either have turned a blind eye to it, maybe we've got blinders on and we don't even see it. And so I was just reminded that we, we're in need of each other. You know, I wonder what would have happened if Nathan hadn't approached David and confronted him on his sin. And I was reminded that the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, one man does another, and how we need this around the tables. I was watching last week as you guys were discussing right at the end, and it looked like good conversation, but what I thought to myself is, we don't put ourselves in the situation a lot where we sit around the table with a lot of men that sharpen us and encourage us to go deeper in our walk with the Lord. And so I want to say thank you for being here. You're an encouragement to me. And uh, this, this uh, afternoon, we had the funeral for Dr. Van Snyder. Now, if you don't know who Dr. Van Snyder was, Dr. Van Snyder was a member here for I don't know how many years, Jeff. I mean, he had to have been here forever, right? He coached basketball. He coached the, War, the Bellevue War Eagles, which was a 13 and under AAU team for what I think they said at the funeral today, 40 years he coached that team. And they had a coach, they had a guy that was a player for him 38 years ago, stand up and speak. And I was just telling this table over here a little bit ago, I said, you know, if I had somebody stand up at my funeral and say one-tenth of the things that man said about Dr. Snyder, I'll, I'll say, praise the Lord. It was amazing to hear this man stand up and talk about the impact that Dr. Snyder had on his life, just talking to him man to man. And so I was reminded, as, Nathan need, as David needed Nathan, David needed Nathan to speak prophetically into his life, to confront him, to hold him accountable. We need one another. And we need one another sometimes to hold us accountable, but we also need one another to just encourage each other. You know, Brother Steve says encouragement is to place courage inside someone else. Now, I don't know about you, but there's not a whole lot of environments in our culture that encourage us. I mean, there just aren't. Not many uh, media outlets are encouraging these days. I don't know if you picked up on that. Not, not, many, not much music that comes outside of some of the Christian music that we hear is very encouraging whatsoever. Not many people that you're around in any setting outside of church are encouraging. And to be honest with you, sometimes the people inside the church aren't that encouraging. And so I want us to take a moment just around the table, and this is, in, I, I say table discussion, it's more of you just sharing something. I want you just to take just a moment, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, whatever it is, and each one of you go around the table, and I want you to say something of how God's been faithful in your life. Maybe it's that you've had a good week health-wise. Maybe it's that you read God's word this morning and he spoke to you. Maybe it's that you've been praying about something specific and God has come through and answered that. Maybe it's a, a family member that you've been praying for and God's restored a relationship. Maybe it's somebody that's lost that you've been praying for and they've gotten saved. But I just want you to take a moment around the table. I'm going to pray for us and then I want you to take a moment around the table just to share with the guys around the table of some way that you've seen God be faithful in your life. Now listen, this is not the time to say, you know, back in uh, 84, uh, I really felt God speak to me. I'm saying lately. 
I'm saying like in the last week or two. Okay, because if we have to go back 20 years to see what God's doing in our lives, that says something about where we're at in our walk with the Lord. Because let me tell you something. God's alive and well. And he's at work. And he's moving. And we got to open our eyes to that. So let me pray for us and then we'll discuss around the table. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for these men. I pray that you'll encourage them tonight. Lord, I pray as they talk about your faithfulness and your love around the table just for a few moments, Lord, that you'll encourage these guys as they hear from other men around their table of what you're doing in their lives. Lord, thank you that you're alive and well. Thank you that you're seated on the throne. Thank you that you are not caught by surprise of things that are going on in our culture, our politics, our nation, or the world. Lord, you are in control. And Lord, we just want to say we love you and pray all this in your precious name. Amen. Take a couple moments to discuss his faithfulness around your table, and then Noah will be up here with us. All right, thank you guys for being here. Uh, for the record, the pr- correct pronunciation of my last name is Sid Holm, but I also answer to Sidum and Sidum and anything that sounds anything remotely close to that, I will also also answer to. Hey, uh, thank you guys for being here. Like like Derek said, I spent uh, I got back Sunday from 12 days overseas and. Uh, it was the first time to literally go around the globe. So we flew out to the east and came back from the west. And I never want to see an airplane again as long as I live. Uh, but we had, a, we had a really good trip getting to meet with some missionaries in, in the Netherlands and Central Asia and then in Cambodia. And a little later, I'm going to tell you a, a story uh, of, of a guy I encountered and, and got to meet with when we were in Cambodia. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you that story in, in just a little bit. We're going to continue our series talking through no more excuses, and tonight we're going to talk through the idea of of no more sifting through the rubble. And what does that mean? You know, each one of us has some rubble in our lives. It's it's something a mistake that we made in the past. It's something that happened to us that 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 just wasn't right. It's something that we're dealing with. It's all this mess that's around us that sometimes will trip us up. You know, if you are doing any kind of construction or anything, it's just that, that mess that's going to be sitting around our feet. That's what we're talking about. What do we do with the stuff in our lives that just shouldn't be there, and it's a mistake, and it's that stuff that's just pulling us back all the time? You know, as men, we are really, really, really good at making excuses, whether that be making excuses for why we can't do this or why we didn't do this or why that didn't go the way it was supposed to go and how it was this person's fault, and we're really good at finding ways to make excuses. But that's not the life that God has called us to. And as men, we're called to lead, and we're called to take initiative and to do what God has called us to do, regardless of what has happened in our past. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, uh, Derek and I were talking a little bit ago. He said that if he were ever in a conversation where he was needing to talk about sports, I am the absolute last person he would ever want to engage in that conversation with, essentially. He said it a little nicer than that. Uh, but I am not a sports person, but I know who Michael Jordan is. So Derek was proud of me when he saw I had a Michael Jordan quote tonight. Here's a a quote from Michael Jordan. It's a a famous quote. He said this, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. It's an interesting quote because a lot of us, when we, when we face those situations and we, we run into the situations where we miss that shot or we, we made a mistake, it's so easy for us to retreat and to pull back 
and to say, you know, I messed up. I can't do this. Maybe I'm not the right guy to make the shot, and, and I'm going to pass it off to the next guy. But what Michael Jordan found is that the more times that he would fail, the more times he would learn and get better, and he would allow him to succeed. See, Michael Jordan was as good as he was, not because he was just naturally talented and that's all there was. Yeah, I'm sure there's some natural talent there. But Michael Jordan was good because of how many times he failed. And he didn't allow the failures of the past and the, the times that he took the shot and he missed to keep him and hold him back from taking the next shot and trying again and again. You know, talking about this topic of, of learning from our mistakes and moving past our failures is a whole lot easier to talk about than it is to actually live out on a day-to-day basis. And that's what we're going to talk tonight. Uh, there's an incredible example of this, I believe, in the Apostle Paul. You know, if you know the story of Paul, Paul was, he would say, a Jew of Jews. He was incredibly zealous for his faith, and he was a Pharisee and incredibly educated in, in, his, in his faith, and he was very zealous to pursue the pure Jewish faith. And that, that purity and that zealousness for his faith led him to actually hunt down and kill Christians early in his life. He was so zealous, and, and these Jews, uh, these Christians were coming, and they were following this man named Jesus who was pushing against some of uh, what he believed to be true, and he didn't believe this guy to be the Messiah. And he was so zealous for that that he stopped these people, found them, and he killed them. And he was res- responsible for arresting them and, and all this type of stuff. And then one day, if you know the story, he was walking on the road to Damascus, and he was on his way to go persecute Christians when he had an encounter with Jesus. And a couple days later, he ends up uh, coming to know Jesus and submitting himself and, and, and giving his life to Jesus as a Savior and Lord. And then Paul, you see a totally different Paul after that. And Paul, instead of persecuting the Christians, he becomes the greatest missionary the world has ever known. And he is going and he is telling everybody he can about the Lord Jesus Christ. And as zealous as he was for his Jewish faith, he's twice as zealous for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if anybody had rubble in their lives and baggage that should have been holding them back from doing what God called them to do, it would have been Paul. Because, yes, he was now following Jesus, but that doesn't change the fact that he had been killing Christians just a couple weeks ago. And that he was actually on his way to go persecute Christians when he met Jesus. And so here's a guy in his life who, even though he's following Jesus and has been called to do something great, That doesn't change the fact that all this stuff happened in his past. It doesn't change where Paul had been. It doesn't change what he had done, what he had said, what he had experienced. But listen to these words that Paul would write when he was writing to the Philippians, the Philippian church in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. He says this, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. He's saying this, hey, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I've not attained everything I'm supposed to attain, but here's what I do know. I'm not going to let the stuff in my past hold me back. I'm going to take it. I'm going to leave it in the past. Now, he's not making it trivial. He's not saying it didn't matter. He's not saying the stuff in his past doesn't affect him anymore. But what he is saying is he's not going to allow his past to stop him from doing what God has called him to do. And that's a choice each one of us have to make. Are we going to allow the things that are in each one of our past? I don't know your story. I don't know what is all in your past, but you know and Jesus knows. And if it's in your past, are you going to allow that to continue to pull you back from what God is calling you to do today 
Or are you going to do like Paul and are you going to say, you know, I'm going to forget what lies behind. I'm going to reach forward to what is ahead. Because God has called us to something. But the enemy wants to pull us back all the time based on what was in, in the past and mistakes and regrets and all this type of stuff. So what are we going to do with the rubble in our lives? Are we going to push forward? Or are we going to allow that rubble to hold us back? Last week, Derek challenged you all to, to be all in with the Lord and to, to forsake the sin in our lives and, and no longer having one foot in with the Lord and one foot in with the world and, and, and just trying to live in both worlds. And so as we forsake the sin in our lives and as we forsake the things in our lives that we're not supposed to be doing, we need to learn to then leave it behind us and not allow the guilt of that, the shame of that, the regret of that to constantly pull us back and to keep us from moving forward. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to just spend a little bit of time around the table. I want you guys to, to talk about this question. What are some, especially in men, what are some common responses that we see to failure? And then maybe if you have an example of this as well, how have you seen failure contribute to someone's success? So when, you, when men fail in particular, whether this be in a personal example or something that you've seen, what are the common responses to failure? And then how have you seen failure sometimes help somebody contribute to success, just like we saw with Michael Jordan? Spend about five minutes around the table, and we'll jump back in. All right, I want to hear from a few of your tables. If you want to shout it out, what are some common responses that you guys see to failure in this world? Common responses. Blame. Yep, we see that all the time. You know, that's what we see the first time in the, in the Garden of Eden when, when Adam and Eve sinned. Uh, the, uh, it, it's the, the snake gave it to me, or the woman gave me that bite, and you gave me the woman. It's all this pointing in every direction that you could possibly point except for yourself. Blame is, is a big one. Any other one that pops to mind? Any other common response to failure? Depression, yeah, retreating and pulling back and, and just, just going into that shell. I know a lot of times that's, I'm really good at dropping into my shell when I get tired or when I get defeated or, or when, I, when I just feel like things aren't going right. I'm really good at that. I'm really good at kind of just going into that reclusive little shell. Anything else? Anger. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, you have all of these natural responses and the question is, what are we going to do with that? How are we going to push through those, and how are we going to lead through that? The rest of tonight, I want us to spend time looking at a guy who, who had a mistake in his life that really could have changed everything for his future, but he chose eventually to make the right choice and to move on. And we want to look at, at Peter, the apostle Peter. You know, Jesus had a, a core group of 12 disciples that he took with him everywhere. And for three years during his earthly ministry, <clears throat> Jesus would walk with these people in day and eat with them. And, and he would live with them for day and night, day and night for three years. And Peter was one of those disciples. But beyond that 12, uh, Jesus had a core group of three. And sometimes Jesus would just pull that three over and whether it be the Mount of Transfiguration or sometimes raising somebody from the dead, Jesus would pull this group of three together and let them see a little bit more than even the 12 got to see. And Peter was one of those three. Jesus got to, to walk every day with Jesus and, and get to, to witness his ministry and understand and see the power of who Jesus was. And Peter loved Jesus, and he wanted to follow him. If you remember, Jesus uh, called Peter out of a profession. What was Peter professionally before he was called 
fisherman. And we'll see that here in just a minute. And so he's a, a fisherman, and Jesus comes and says, hey, and he tells, as he told many of his, his disciples that were fishermen, he called them to no longer fish for fish, but to fish for people. He says, hey, I'm going to give you a new calling, a new purpose in life. And he called them. And so Jesus lived with Peter, and, and they walked. And then in the moment of truth, Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was. Jesus was betrayed, and we'll walk through that in just a moment. Jesus is betrayed, and in the moment of truth, when, when Peter had an opportunity to stand up and, and to identify with Jesus when it was really hard for the, maybe the first time, it was really, really hard to identify with Jesus, he chose to deny it. And this is where we walk into the story. This is uh, John chapter 21. In chapter 19, we have the, the crucifixion. In chapter 20, we have the, the resurrection. But even then, when, when, when the Bible teaches us that when Peter learned of the resurrection, when he went to the tomb and when he, when he saw the empty tomb for himself, he wasn't rejoicing, he was perplexed. And you see, this is a man that for three years walked with Jesus and, and believed in the kingdom of Jesus, and then Jesus died. And even though Jesus had warned them of his death and told them it was coming, they didn't really understand that that's exactly what Jesus meant. And so when Jesus died, they really started questioning everything. What, how could Jesus have died? We thought he was the Messiah. And in that moment, and even in the resurrection, when they heard of the resurrection, and you read the, through the Gospels, and Jesus says, hey, guys, I'm going to go die, and then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And then it happens, and they're like, what just happened? And, and looking in retrospect, it's, you're like, that's exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. But that was such a foreign concept that the Messiah was going to come and that he was going to die. Everyone thought the Messiah was going to come, and he was going to build a kingdom here on earth. And so Peter sees Jesus die, he, see, he hears that he's resurrected, and even sees him twice. But there's a lot of time in between these, these appearings and, and not a whole lot of, lot of answers, there's a whole lot of questions, and nobody really knows what's happening. And we see here in John 21, the Bible says that after this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, Zebedee's sons, and two other of his disciples were together. And they're just going through life, and Peter says, I'm going fishing. And what we see here is that these guys were probably just sitting around, and they'd been following Jesus for three years, and, and suddenly their, their master was gone, and, and they didn't really know what to do anymore. And they were just waiting, and, and all this, this time in between, and what do they do? They go back to what they knew before. And he said, I'm going fishing. And the other said, we're coming with you. And they went out, and they got into the boat, but that night they caught Nothing. Can you imagine how long that night was for Peter? He was sitting in that boat and fishing, and this is what Peter knew how to do. This is what Peter was really good at. And when, everything, when anything else didn't work and everything had failed in his life, he knew, I can go catch fish. This is something I really know how to do. I know what I'm doing. I know the water. I know the boat. I know the nets. I know the fish. But all night he's sitting there and with these other fishermen, and they catch absolutely nothing. And you can imagine that when you're with these guys, maybe there's some conversation, but 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, you're not caught anything. Eventually, that conversation is going to die down, and there's going to be a whole lot of time for Peter to sit and to think. And I imagine what Peter would have been thinking about on that boat, just waiting for fish and realizing he's not catching anything. It's been hours and hours, and 
in Peter's mind, probably, I would think, would probably have gone back to that, that last dinner he had with Jesus, that last moment. And we read about it in, in Matthew 26, 31 through 35. It says, And Jesus said to them, they're all, he's eating with all his disciples. Jesus said to them, Tonight, all of you will fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told them, Peter told Jesus, even if everyone else falls away because of you, I will never fall away. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter couldn't believe and he says, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all of the, the disciples said the same thing. Peter was horrified at the idea that he would leave Jesus and deny him. He's, he's saying, Lord, I, I've done all this with you. I've, I've seen these miracles. I've seen you raise people from the dead. Why would I ever leave you? Of course I'm going to follow you, even to death. But just a few hours later, Jesus was in the garden. And many of you know the story. Jesus is in the garden, and he's betrayed, and he's taken captive, and he's led to a mock trial. And what happens? All of the disciples scatter, just like Jesus said they would. Now, there, there were two disciples that followed Jesus from a distance, and just to see what was going to happen, it was the apostle John and the apostle Peter. The Bible says in Luke twenty two fifty four and following, they seized him, they led him away, and they brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance, and the book of John says that John was there as well. It says, they lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard, and they sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looking closely at him, she said, this man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else said, you're one of them too. He said, man, I am not. I don't know him. About an hour later, another kept insisting, no, th this man was certainly with them. He's a Galilean. His accent gives him away. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And another gospel says that he even was cursing at them at the same time with anger and just wanting to convince them, I do not even know who this guy is. I don't know what you're talking about. But while Peter was still talking and denying that he even knew who Jesus was, Immediately, it says that a rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went outside, and he wept bitterly. So now, I imagine Peter sitting on this boat all night, waiting for the fish, and they're never coming. And in his mind's eye, he sees Jesus looking at him, Jesus being beaten, Jesus being betrayed, Jesus being taken through this mock court, and he denies him three times, and they make eye contact. And I imagine that's what's going through Peter's mind most, much of this night. He's dreading this thought. He's like, how could I have done this? The thing that Jesus told me I was going to do, I swore to him I would never do, and I did it. And it's this regret and this sorrow and this rubble just, just all around Peter. And he doesn't know if he can even move forward. And the Bible goes on to say, in John chapter 21, beginning at verse 4, so they didn't catch anything all night. And it says, when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? 
No, they answered. You can imagine the frustration that they would have answered that question in all night with no fish and some guy on the shore saying, you didn't catch anything, did you? And they had to answer, no, we don't have anything. Jesus said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they did and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, being John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him for he had taken it off and he plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish that you just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and he hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come, have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. You know, we, we talk about Peter doubting the Lord and, and denying who he was, and, you know, he's the one in the upper room at the dinner that said, Lord, I will never betray you. And obviously, he's the one that did it three times. But there's a, a little phrase there at the end that said, and the other disciples said the same thing. So Peter gets a, a bad reputation for, for being the denier, but They were all the deniers. They all said, Lord, we will never forsake you. We will all follow you to death. And when the moment came for his betrayal, they all scattered. And here we see, after the resurrection, they've all reverted back to their fishing. They're going back, and they're just trying to figure out life. They're trying to pick up their life from the rubble and trying trying to make it through life. And Jesus says, let's come have breakfast together. And he welcomes them, and he's kind, and he's not interested in, and pointing out, hey, you left, and you said this, and you did this. Jesus wasn't interested in, in digging through their past. Jesus was interested in their future. And Jesus was interested in picking them up and showing them what they need to do next. And so Jesus invites them to breakfast. He cooks them breakfast, and he serves them breakfast. He goes on to say, beginning in verse 15, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to them, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to them, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. But what do we see here? We see that Jesus is rebuilding Peter. See, Peter was a a broken man at this point. He was torn down. He had made these mistakes, and he had denied his Lord, and he probably did not even see a path forward. And Jesus is restoring him and rebuilding him in this moment. It's interesting to see the parallels to even the denial How many times did did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many times did Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? Three times. When Peter denied Jesus, where was he? He was sitting around a fire in the courtyard. When Jesus said, do you love me, and was restoring him, Jesus had built a fire, and they were sitting around it. This time he was sitting with Jesus, affirming his love for Jesus. And so Jesus saw a man who was 
maybe stuck in the rubble of his mistake, of his regret and his grief. And Jesus decides to restore him and to rebuild him for the future. Because Jesus wasn't interested in just throwing on guilt and making him regret what he did yesterday. Jesus had a future for him. And what we'll see with Peter just a month, little over a month later, on the day of Pentecost, there would be a need for somebody to stand up and to preach the gospel. And Peter would be the man that would stand up and preach the gospel, and over 3,000 people would get saved on that day alone. And you can imagine that moment that Peter could have said, I denied Jesus in the moment of his death. Who am I to get up and preach? I, I, I could have done this or I did this and, and all this stuff might have been holding him back. But Peter chose to push that, push that aside and to stand up and to preach the gospel that Jesus had called him to preach. And he was faithful in that moment to fish for men and to fish for people because Jesus had restored him and rebuilt him. So the question for you tonight is this, what is the rubble in your life that is keeping you back? And are you going to allow Jesus to rebuild you and to restore you? Or do you think that what you've done and, and that thing in your life is too big for Jesus to be able to pull you out of? You see, Peter had a choice to make. Peter could have pulled back and said, I, I can't do this anymore. This is too much for me. But what, G what Peter chose to do is to allow the Lord to use him. Jesus was not interested in condemning Peter. He was interested in pulling him out. In the same way, Jesus is reaching down to each one of us, and we all have rubble in our lives. Jesus is reaching down. He wants to pull us out of that rubble and to rebuild us and to restore us. In his book, uh, No More Excuses, that we're, that we're pulling content, some of the content from for this series, Tony Evans, uh, in the chapter on, on uh, No More Sifting Through the Rubble, gives three ways that he thinks it's important for men to, to be pulled out of the rubble and how we can get out of that. If you have something to write down, I encourage you to write these three down. He said, number one, come clean with Jesus. He says this, you might as well be honest. God knows the truth anyway. When you pray, reveal the truth. It'll help you and God to get on the same page faster. See, you don't need to confess because God needs to know we confess because we need to agree with God about what he has already said about our sin. God is not interested in learning anything about us. He knows everything. He's interested in our honesty with him. God is interested in us being on that same page. So come clean to Jesus. He knows it anyway. Second thing is this, be authentic. Tony Evans writes that superheroes exist in movies, but not in everyday life. We all have struggles, doubts, and fears. We've all failed. An authentic relationship with God and with yourself will open you up to divine help you need to live out the best version of yourself. Don't aim for superhero. Aim for spiritual greatness. Only God can get you there. So we're not looking. God isn't looking for people who are the, the super Christians who have it all together all the time and never make a mistake. God is looking for everyday people, fishermen like Peter, who would deny Jesus three times in the moment of his betrayal. That is the kind of person that Jesus is looking for because that's the kind of people that Jesus can use. A lot of times we are so full of ourselves that there's no room for Jesus to, to move in our lives. It's only when we're honest and authentic that Jesus is able to use us. And number three, Tony says, Dr. Evans says this, do what you can. He says this in his book, it's okay if you need to tell Jesus in prayer, Lord, I don't know what to say. Remember that he knows your needs before you express them. 
Too many times we aim too high, and when we can't reach that goal, we quit. Admit where you are, start there, and do what you can. God will help you grow in time. And so I want us to to go to the table, and here's what I want you guys to talk about. What are some hindrances that prevent men from accepting Jesus' call to restoration and rebuilding after they failed? So what is it when we make mistakes, when we or even if it's not a mistake we made, maybe it's just something that happened to us in life, a circumstance, that, a hand that we were dealt that just wasn't that good. How, what are the hindrances that prevent us from accepting Jesus' restoration and allowing him to rebuild us into who he wants us to be? Let's talk for a few minutes, and then we'll close. All right, we'll come back one last time, and I actually want to show you a video here in just a moment. When Derek mentioned a little bit ago that I had just gotten back from uh, the trip around the world, one of the guys I spent some time with in Cambodia was a missionary that Bellevue works with. His name's Steve Hyde. Uh, many of you might know his name, and he's been a, a missionary that we've partnered with for a long time. He's been in Cambodia for 30 years uh, and doing an incredible work there. And when I sat and I talked to him, and we recorded him to, uh, to hear his story, and we recorded with him for about an hour, but I wanted to, to show you about five, six minutes of his story and I, I thought when I, when I was working on the, the, the content for tonight, his story just kept coming back to mind of somebody who had every excuse to quit, every excuse to not do what God had called him to do. And the choice that he had to make in his life about if he was going to allow something that happened in his past, something that he, he didn't even do, something that happened to him, something that he was, in a sense, the victim of. Was he going to allow that to prevent him from doing what God had called him to do, or is he going to use that and allow God to rebuild and to restore that situation for the glory of God. So I want you to watch a little bit of Steve Hyde's story, and then we will, uh, we will pray and we will be done. I was serving in Cambodia. I, I was a recent graduate from a Southern Baptist school in, uh, in Texas, and uh, I felt like God was calling me into missions. And so I just started praying and asking the Lord, like, if you wanted to use me as a missionary, Lord, where would you want me to go? And I kind of selfishly looked for, like, more developed countries around the world and places that were nice and beautiful and with mountains and, or, or beautiful oceans and that kind of stuff. But my heart just kept pulling me to Cambodia. And Cambodia had just uh, gone through a genocide. The, actually, the Civil War was still going on, and people were being killed on a daily basis, and it was horrible. But the, the uh, Southern Baptist churches had an opportunity then to send missionaries for the first time into Cambodia because UN peacekeepers came here to try and stop the war. And so when the UN peacekeepers came, they said, we, we can now put foreign missionaries on the ground. And so I volunteered as a recent uh, college graduate, and I volunteered to come to Cambodia, and, and I've been here ever since trying to bring life to a broken country. The genocide, uh, the genocide in Cambodia was horrible. Um, Uh, they basically targeted, it was a genocide of their own people killing their own people. Um, And so anybody who was educated, anybody who wore glasses, anybody who drove a car, anybody who could speak a foreign language, they were targeted to be killed. And they wanted to remove all the people that they thought were the parasites of the country. And they wanted to come to a brand new, uh, they call it year zero. They wanted to bring the whole country to year zero and then they were going to rebuild a perfect utopian society. So in the process, they killed 40% of their own people. They killed all the educated people. They killed all the doctors. They killed all the school teachers. 
they exterminated everybody from the city and their ideal person was a rice farmer and so you they you were left with a nation of uneducated rice farmers and that's the country i came to was a, a nation of no doctors no no school teachers no school buildings no churches no no temples no religious background nothing everything in the whole country was destroyed they literally went house to house and ripped out electricity as as they considered electricity to be a western invention that was polluting the world and so they literally went through and ripped out electrical wires from from the buildings um, and they took all the vehicles that they had in the country and they dumped them into the Mekong River. Um, and so I came to a country with no phones, no roads, no cars, no nothing. And people just walked around or used bicycles. And, and that's where God brought me. And I've been here ever since. When I came to Cambodia, it, I, knew, I knew what it was going to be like to be a missionary because my parents were missionaries. And my parents were missionaries in the Philippines. And so I actually grew up as a missionary kid in the Philippines. And for Southern Baptists, we were kind of unique because we were Yankees. We were from the north. So uh, we were Southern Baptist missionaries from uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And, uh, and so uh, we were sent, my parents were sent as the only missionaries ever sent from the state of Iowa uh, with the IMB and serving, uh, serving in the Philippines. So I grew up as a missionary kid on the mission field, uh, serving alongside my parents and going to school like a normal kid would, but just in a missionary school not in a, in a school like in America. So I grew up with a very international context. I knew what missionary life entailed. I knew that my parents had dedicated their life uh, to share the gospel um, and to see other people. They had put others, among, uh, others before themselves, others before their own family. Um, as a kid growing up, sometimes I felt upset that my parents were missionaries because I only got to see my grandparents every four years. Um, I, at that time, we didn't have internet or things like that, so I never got to talk to my cousins and my aunts and uncles, so I grew up very distant, not knowing them. Uh, and then when we would come home on furloughs, we would spend most of our time traveling church after church after church. So I, I literally had no relations and friends in America because we were traveling all the time, too. So we were never in one place. Uh, one year we furloughed in Iowa, one year we furloughed in Texas, and we just kind of rotated around. Um, and so myself growing up there, I told the Lord I didn't want to be a missionary. And uh, I said, I just want to live kind of the American dream. And I want to work hard, uh, eventually buy a boat and live on a lake. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and that was kind of my dream of what I wanted to do. But God said, I prepared you for something else. And so I surrendered my life to Jesus. And, and I said, I'm going to commit to follow him. And, and so when I, be, when I graduated from college, I began praying about where God would want me in the world, and he just put my heart to focus on probably one of the most broken countries in the world at the time, with six different factions fighting for a civil war. And I knew what it would entail to be a missionary. I knew the sacrifices. I knew that I would be separated from my parents. I knew that I wouldn't, my kids would grow up not knowing uh, their relatives, their cousins, their, their aunts and uncles, and their grandparents. And, uh, I know for missionaries, one of the things we always dreaded was uh, a phone call at like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And usually, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so one of the things we always dreaded as a missionary was the 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning phone call. And it was usually a grandmother or grandfather or aunt and uncle who passed away, you know. And that was the only time we'd hear from the family was when 
a tragedy happened. Well, after I started in Cambodia, I had that the very worst tragedy happen to me as well. Um, I had already been serving in Cambodia a number of years, and my, my parents were still serving as IMB missionaries in the Philippines. And uh, in 2003, I got a dreaded phone call. Actually, I was up preaching at the time. I was preaching to a group of pastors, and my phone rang. It was very unusual. 2003, just had cell phones. My phone rang. Very bad thing to have your cell phone ring when you're preaching. But I looked at the, the phone, and at the, in those days, if it was an international call, it came up as a, a strange number. And so I saw it was an international call, and I said, I better answer this. And it was news from my mom that my father had been, uh, that he had been martyred in the Philippines. And uh, he was targeted by uh, Muslims in the Philippines, and they put a bomb behind him and blew him up. And so my mom had to make that tragic call to me that, that my father had been killed serving the Lord. <laughs> ah, sorry. So for me, that just put actually more resolve into me to, to make a difference for the Lord. When my father was killed, um, my life didn't matter anymore um, because I knew that the worst thing Satan could do to me or whoever is following Satan, the worst thing they could do to me is kill me. And if they did kill me, First, I get to go see Jesus, you know, but also I get to see my earthly father again, you know, and sooner. And one day we'll meet again, you know, we'll meet again and we'll, I'll be able to give my dad a big hug. And uh, I'm sure he's following. Ah, sorry. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure he's following what I'm doing in Cambodia, too. But I'd love to sh share with him how God has used me here. So, yeah, so I come I come from a missionary background. I come from uh Tragic background, I guess, in missionaries, but also, but also a background where it makes me even more committed for the sake of the gospel. And, and to me, I don't want to waste any time. I just want to keep serving the Lord and doing what I can to make the gospel known to people who had never had a chance to share the gospel. And there's nothing that could stop me. I got to spend... <clears throat> four days with Steve Hyde and with his family and <clears throat> got to see the work that the Lord is doing through Steve and his family there in Cambodia. And I walked away just thinking, man, how, how easy do I have it in my life? And, and just seeing even some of the conditions that people live in, in there in Cambodia and that he's ministering to and, and the sacrifice that he's made and the story that God has written for his life. And then just, I walked away thinking, man, how many times do I make excuses for why I can't do things or why I can't, I'm not the best or why this isn't, whatever it is. How often do I make those excuses? And here's a guy who's experienced a whole lot more than I ever will in a lot harder situation. And he chose to, to sift through that rubble and to follow the Lord as a result of it. You heard him say that, that when his father was martyred uh, in the Philippines as a missionary, that put a resolve in his heart that, hey, I'm going to do this more than I ever have. I'm not going to back down. And he had a resolve in his heart to follow Jesus and to, to do the will of the Lord more because of the circumstance, more because of the tragic situation than he had even before. And so that's what God is calling each one of us to. Like I said earlier, I don't know, I don't know what your rubble is. I don't know what it is that's maybe pulling you back. I don't know what it is that you're having to, to sift through in your life in order to pursue the calling that God has for you. But I do know this, that, that Jesus can pull you out of it. He can rebuild you. He can restore you. And he wants to do it. 
The question is, are you willing to be restored? Are you willing to move beyond what's in your past? And that doesn't make it trivial. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that what happened in the past doesn't matter or that there's not consequence for it or that, that it, it just disappears. None of that is what we're saying. But what we are saying is that despite your past, God can use you today and in the future. I know so many, so many people uh, live their lives between yesterday and tomorrow. They're, they're living, regretting what happened tomorrow, yesterday and dreading what's going to happen tomorrow. And because of that, we miss the moment that God has for us right now. And that's the challenge I want to give each one of you men tonight. What is it that God has for you tonight? What is it that God has for you right now? We talked off in our first table talk for the night was talking about the Lord's faithfulness. And so here's how I want us to end. I want you guys to end around the table. And then when you guys get done, somebody around your table can pray for you and and dismiss you. But here's what I want you to discuss. How have you witnessed God's rebuilding and restoration in your life or in someone else's life? How have you experienced God's faithfulness personally in a way that has rebuilt and restored your faith and allowed you to continue on? And maybe for you tonight, maybe you're in a place where you need to be rebuilt, you need to be restored. I'd encourage you to to mention that to the guys around your table and have them pray for you. If not, Derek and I are here. We'd love to talk to you tonight about, about how you can pursue the Lord and how you can be rebuilt and restored by the Lord. So take a few minutes around your table, discuss this question, and then we'll see you guys next week. Thank you, guys.